Good morning, guys. You guys doing good? You guys have a good Thanksgiving? Good, good. So we're going to get into this morning's message. Again, as I mentioned, things are going to be a little bit brief and short today, which may be a little bit of a miracle. Me, short, me, brief. Um, It can happen every once in a while. Today is one of those times. You're welcome. So... One of the things I want to kind of emphasize today, we'll be kind of looking into and asking the question, um, I'll show you the first slide here, is I want to kind of ask the question about what does it look like to enter into the story? And what I mean by that is when we talk about the Bible and the Gospels in particular, really what we're basically saying is that we're, we're being invited into the story of God. So if you want to think of it this way, the Old Testament is kind of this ongoing, dramatic story of the people of Israel refusing to actually enter into the story of God. And instead, rather than entering into God's story, which is life and hope and peace and wholeness, instead Israel is constantly going into this cycle of brokenness, destruction, death. And yet what we see with Jesus in the New Testament, in the gospel accounts, is Jesus actually inviting people to come into his story, a renewed attempt to enter into the story of God through Jesus. And the most unbelievable reality about this, and a kind of strange twist to this way in which God has done this, is that God actually enters into the story of God's people. So what's kind of a unique twist on this is that God invites people to enter into his story by actually, first of all, entering into their story, into their suffering, into their pain. Now, the reality is, for us as human beings, obviously, we love stories, right? We all love stories. You guys like stories? How many of you guys really, really like stories? Either by way of movie or novel or read a good book. I mean, suppose it's supposed to rain today, right? How many of you anticipate, if it's going to rain, you just want to sit around and read a book or watch a movie? That's what I want to do. Yes, yes. We applaud that because that's a good thing. Um, And really, what we're basically saying is that we want to enter into a story. That's what a movie is. That's why we love long, dramatic storylines. That's why I'm really excited about the forthcoming uh, Star Wars movie that's coming out very too long from now. It's a little over a year. That's, in my opinion, way too long of a wait. Because we love getting kind of engrossed into stories. We love stories. And if you think of it this way, in a sense... This is exactly what Thanksgiving was all about. I mean, on Thursday, most of us, we all kind of sat around and we ate a lot of food. And eating food was sort of a way of reliving or entering into the story of America. Does that make sense? So in other words, if you sat around eating really good food, uh, you may have heard somebody talk a little bit about a pilgrim or an Indian or a meal or whatnot or saw sort of festive colors or Uh, Something that kind of brought your mind back to what happened uh, in the early beginnings of America. And eating that food was basically a way of actually entering into the story of America. That's one of the reasons why every single year we as Americans have a big, great, massive Thanksgiving meal. And we do that with a bunch of people. It's a way of reliving, re-entering into that story. So what I want to suggest to you is that really the New Testament, the Bible, is really all about... Stories about God inviting people to come into his story. And we see the very same thing take place in the gospel accounts. One particular story that I want to focus on this morning is really the story of a guy by the name of 
Zacchaeus. You guys ever heard of Zacchaeus? All right. When I, some of the questions I'm going to be asking are kind of asking mainly towards little audiences because I know that some of you more adult people are like, of course I heard about it, Zacchaeus. So if you're wondering why does he keep asking such insulting questions, don't be offended. They're kind of more so towards kids. But the idea is that Zacchaeus is a story of one who wants to understand a little bit more about Jesus, and then Jesus invites Zacchaeus into really Jesus' life. Jesus invites Zacchaeus to enter into all that Jesus is doing. So what I want to do is I want to watch kind of a little video clip that basically tells the story of Zacchaeus. And we'll watch this, just a really short, brief clip, and then we'll make some observations with regard to that, and then we'll wrap things up. So let's go ahead and roll the clip. In ye oldie Bible times, in a little old town called Jericho, there lived a bad dude named Zacchaeus. Or, Zach for short, he was a greedy tax collector. He cheated people out of their own money and didn't even give it back to them. Everyone thought he was a total bozo. (laughs) On this particular day, Jesus came to town. It was pretty exciting because people had heard about the epic things Jesus had been doing. He was kind of like a famous celebrity and people were hoping maybe Jesus would speak to them, say hi, or even pump out a few miracles. Hey, JC. I've got a spare couch you can sleep on if you need somewhere to stay. I don't know, dude. Zach wanted to see Jesus too, but because Zach was short, he could only see Jesus from up in a tree. Zacchaeus, I'm going to come stay at your house today. Oh, Oh, not Zacchaeus. Stay at my place. We made brownies. Maybe it was something Jesus said that day. Or maybe it was just the fact that Jesus himself chose to stay at Zach's house. But something changed inside of Zach, and he decided to believe in Jesus and start being a better bloke too. But Zacchaeus, he's a sinner. Don't stay at his place. No way. Sinner. Sinner. I came to earth to save sinners. And today, my friend Zacchaeus has found life salvation and i've decided to give away half of my stuff to the poor and i'll pay back all the money i cheated from you guys and i'll pay it back times four (laughs) you're a poet and you didn't even know it even though zach was a bit of a bad dude jesus forgave him loved him and invited him to be his mate Back on subject with the idea of stories is that what we see really simply here is, again, a great picture. Jesus entering into this city. Jesus, for sure, already knowing that Zacchaeus was going to be there. Jesus also knowing that Zacchaeus had this, like, piqued interest in Jesus and who Jesus was. But then really Jesus basically invites Zacchaeus into his house. There's a couple things, I think, in terms of observing this story that I'll just point out. First of all, with regard to Zacchaeus, there's a couple things to think about. Zacchaeus, first of all, was rich. He was rich. It describes the fact that he became rich by way of gaining his money, by way of stealing and cheating people. Um, he was what was called a tax collector, which meant that he worked. He was a Jewish guy. He worked for uh, what would basically be considered the enemy. He worked for the Roman government, which meant that anybody who was Jewish, anybody that was part of his own nationality, would have hated him and would have viewed him as nothing more than a liar, a thief, and a cheat. How many of us love liars, thieves, and cheats? Not many. The fact of the matter is, is we despise those types of people, which leads to the second thing, is that Zacchaeus, as a result of this, was greatly disliked. Nobody trusted him. Nobody liked him. The third thing that we see about Zacchaeus is that he was very interested in Jesus. The story doesn't tell us why he was interested in Jesus. It just simply says that for whatever reason, 
he was interested in Jesus. Now, as the video kind of pointed out, which there were some theological discrepancies with being very consistent with the story, um, but for the most part, I think it carries the idea across really well. But the idea is that perhaps Zacchaeus was just simply interested in the miracles that Jesus had committed and done. In other words, maybe he was not in any way, shape, or form interested trying to find out who Jesus was to figure out how do I go to heaven when I die. That probably was not at all on Zacchaeus's radar screen. He wasn't thinking about anything like that. Perhaps he was just curious to find out about this Jesus who creates food, who heals people, who does all of these strange miracles. Third thing that we see is that he was simply short. He was a small guy. Uh, again, just simply um, challenged with height. So the fact of the matter is, is that because of this, he had to climb up into a tree in order to see Jesus, which leads to kind of the second thing that we see with regard to Jesus, is that Jesus was aware, first of all, of his existence, that Jesus knew that Zacchaeus was there. Uh, this is an amazing thing to me, that even though everybody else in that story would have been aware of who Zacchaeus was, nobody liked Zacchaeus, nobody in any way, shape, or form would have expected Jesus to have connected with a guy like Zacchaeus, because again, Jesus by this time would have been like a superstar. By this time, Jesus would have gained such great notoriety. Hundreds, perhaps thousands of people would have been following Jesus. Jesus had a Facebook account or an Instagram account. He would have been in the thousands, tens of thousands of followers, constantly liking everything that we posted. Here's a photo of me, selfie, healing this paralyzed guy at a well. Jesus would have been probably not like that, but the point of the matter is, is that Jesus would have had a massive following of people following him around everywhere he went. So when Jesus comes into a city, Jesus also would have gained notoriety as being a religious leader, meaning that Jesus talked about God. He connected people's minds with the understanding who God was. So that's what Jesus always did. So typically in that day, if you were a good religious leader, if you were somebody that honored and loved Yahweh or Jehovah God, uh, you probably would not spend much time hanging out with people that were basically, for the most part, enemies of God. Zacchaeus would have been viewed as an enemy of God simply because Zacchaeus was a liar, he was a cheat, and he was a thief. So this is one of the reasons why in the story we're actually told that the religious leaders basically condemned Jesus because Jesus was spending time with this lying, thieving cheat by the name of Zacchaeus. And yet what amazes me about this is that Jesus was aware of Zacchaeus. He knew that he was there. And not only that, he was, secondly, insistent, meaning that Jesus could have completely omitted or negated or turned away from or ran away from Zacchaeus, but he doesn't. Jesus is insistent. So what Jesus does is he says to Zacchaeus, I want to have a meal at your house. And so Jesus basically, if you want to think of it this way, he invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. Now, in today's culture, we don't typically like people that just kind of show up on our doorstep unannounced and demand a meal, right? Uh, we're not super happy about that. We love our privacy. But here's what Jesus does. He basically says to Zacchaeus, I want to come over to your house, stay at your house, and I want to have a meal. Jesus is insistent about this. Obviously, he's a gentleman. He's not rude. But Jesus is nonetheless insistent. Third thing that we see is that Jesus is also welcoming, that Jesus basically comes into Zacchaeus' house, and it shows an overwhelming amount of acceptance and love for Zacchaeus, even though Zacchaeus is what is described as a sinner, meaning he is an enemy, if you would, of God and of God's people. And yet Jesus welcomes him. And what's amazing to me is that 
in kind of in summary of this, is that Jesus continues to welcome all of us into his story. No matter who we are, no matter what type of background that we have, no matter what type of heart that we might possess, whether how cold it is, whether how distant it is, whether how broken it is, whether how ruined it is, these are the people that Jesus still is insistent upon welcoming, coming alongside, coming into, welcoming to come into a relationship with him. And what we see with regard to this is that Jesus, if you would, invites Zacchaeus into Jesus' story by Jesus coming into Zacchaeus' story. This is what we celebrate this time of year as we come into the very next big uh, holiday, which is, anybody want to take a guess what the next big holiday is? Kids, okay, kids, adults, come on, you can't cheat. Who said, who was the adult that said Christmas? I just gave it away. So anyways, you get the idea. Christmas is the next big holiday. And what we celebrate on that holiday is God coming into our world. God not abandoning this world, God not separating himself from this world, God not running from the pain and hurt in this world, but God actually coming into this world. It's God stepping into the story that defines us as human beings. God stepping into the story that defines us as broken, as hurting, as filled with sorrow and filled with pain and suffering. That God basically saying, I love you so much, I don't want to abandon you, I don't want to leave you, I want to come into you, I want to be alongside you, and invite you to come into my story, which is one of wholeness and healing from the suffering, from the pain, one of life instead of death. So what we see finally with regard to Zacchaeus, as I've closed, is that Zacchaeus basically turned, uh, next thing is that Zacchaeus turned from his old ways of life, and in the story, we're told that he basically makes his decision to give back everything that he had taken away from these old people, uh, from the people in the city. Uh, all the money that he stole, all the money that he took by way of deception, he says, I'm going to give it back, and I'm going to give back some on top of that. So what we would call this is repentance. This is Zacchaeus turning away from an old way of life, an old pattern of life that actually leads to brokenness, leads to destruction, and then turn to a new way of life, which is to turn, in this case, to Jesus. We call this faith and trust. So these two things that go together, repentance turning from an old way of life, turning from that which is broken, turning to Jesus, which is really faith and confidence and trust in God. And as a result of that, what we see with regard to Zacchaeus' life is he loves God, meaning he loves God's ways. And as a result of that, he begins to become a good neighbor. He loves his neighbor as himself. In other words, he realizes that if somebody stole from me, what would I want them to do back to me? In other words, perhaps in his mind, he's thinking, well, I'd want them to repay. And it'd be really nice to also maybe have them pay back a little bit more because of all the time that was without it. So then Zacchaeus then goes out, begins to truly be a good neighbor. And in short, this is the story of God. This is what God invites us into, to love God, to love our neighbor. But first of all, we need to find and ask the question, where are we at in that story? Do we know, do we recognize that we at one point are, were not the good neighbor? That in other words, we were lost, we were broken, we were in what Bible describes as in our sin, and our sin took us on a path of death and constant brokenness. And yet what God did is he comes into our life, invites us to come into his story and find wholeness. This is what the gospel tells us, and it transforms us to being people that love ourselves and hate our neighbors to becoming people that love God 
and love our neighbors. This is what we see in the story of Zacchaeus. So what I want to do is I want to finish with really asking the question, how do we enter into the story of God? How do we enter into that story? Now, in short, oftentimes throughout American Christianity, we try to make things as simple as we can. We say things like this, just pray the simple prayer and you will be saved. You will go to heaven. But in reality, like I already mentioned, Zacchaeus is not really wondering about how does he go to heaven when he dies. What Zacchaeus is really more so concerned about, how do I have eternal life? Now, eternal life does involve going to heaven when you die. But eternal life is bigger than just simply something that happens after you die. Eternal life is something that happens right now. It impacts, it affects, it changes the way that you live in this life. It impacts, affects, and changes the way that you treat what we call your neighbor. It impacts and affects and changes the way that we view what we call our enemy. And this is exactly the good story of the Bible, is that we, at one time, were not good neighbors to God. We were basically, by definition, enemies. And yet God, rather than abandoning us, rather than God hating us, rather than God shoving us off to the side, moves in next door, feels the weight of our pain, our suffering, carries it upon himself, and creates the means whereby we could be changed, we could be saved. In other words, salvation comes into our lives, just like it did with Zacchaeus. So the question is, how do we do this on a practical level? I would say three simple things. One, just like with Zacchaeus, repentance. We turn from our old path. We turn from our old ways, ways that have led us to brokenness and death. We turn to Jesus. We call this trust. We, by faith, have confidence in who God is, in God's story, what God says about himself, what God says that he's doing in this world, what God says that he will one day do within this world. We trust this story. We entrust our lives to this God who actually loves us, who cares for us, who bore upon himself our pain, our brokenness, our shame. We trust ourselves to him. And one of the most simple ways, and this kind of leads to the third thing, and I'll finish with this, one of the most simplest ways by which we, on a very tangible and practical way, enter into this is by way of symbol. We call this symbol communion. And I want to finish right now by way of us partaking communion together, and I'll explain it. And as I'm explaining, I'm going to have the worship team come on up. And I want to just explain a little bit about what communion is. Because I want you to think of it this way. Communion really is, it's God's way of defining or describing for us what salvation is like. It's God coming into our lives, God coming into our world, into our brokenness, and saying, I'm going to invite you to come into a feast, into a celebration, into a party. And this is what Jesus does. He enters into a an upper room with his disciples. And he basically enters into a story that has been being told for hundreds of years. It's called the Passover. And it's Jesus' way of saying, I'm going to tell, retell the story of the Passover with a brand new twist to it. That rather than just simply God saving the people of Israel from the tyranny, the tyranny of Pharaoh, this new twist to the story is going to have to do with God saving the entire world from their greatest oppressor called sin and death by way of the sacrifice of another. And what Jesus is basically doing with his disciples is he's saying, I want you to enter into this story. And the way that you'll enter into this story is by way of bread and wine. And I'm going to read you the passage. 
And then I'm going to have each one of you guys come on up. And I'm going to actually have kind of, we have some leaders that will be up at each little station. We've got five stations, one right up here, one right up here. One, two, three. By the way, that's our little gluten-free station back there. FYI, if you're gluten-free, we do have some of those here. Um, and uh, if you need that, we have that available for you in the back. But we'll have five stations. So when I say go, what we'll do is we'll have you guys go up and go to one of those areas around there. And the way this will be done today, which will be a little bit different than we typically do it, is the bread will actually be given to you. It'll be given to you. One of the things that we typically do as a church is we oftentimes just have the bread there for you to take. But what I want you to understand in sort of the symbolism of this meal is salvation is a gift given to you. You don't take salvation. You don't just go and take it. You don't just simply ask Jesus into your heart. That may be a, that is a response to God coming to you. That is a response to God like Jesus coming into the town where Zacchaeus was and Zacchaeus swinging from a tree and responding to Jesus and saying yes. So in a sense, asking Jesus into your heart, praying to God, asking God to save you, is really a response to God saying, I'm giving myself to you. So as you partake of the communion, what I want you to see is as the communion, as the bread is given to you, it's a picture of God saying, I'm giving my life for you. I have entered into your story and I've been broken within your story. The same way that you living in your story are constantly broken. But the bread also speaks of what I would say sort of a bilateral type of a exchange. God is not only saying, I'm going to enter into your story, but I'm also inviting you to come into mine. And by coming into mine, you'll be made whole. I'll heal you. I'll wash you. I'll cleanse you. I'll give you peace in exchange for disorderliness. I'll give you life in exchange for death. I'll give you grace in exchange for judgment. And this is what we see with regard to the bread and the cup. So I'm going to pray. How about we all stand? And then what we'll do is whatever station that you're closest to, um, so that we don't have too many lines, come forward. You'll be given the bread, and then you'll take the bread, and you'll just dip it in the cup. And then you can go back to your seat, and we'll kind of partake it together. So if you dip the bread in there, just kind of practical things. Don't keep it in there for too long. Just FYI, it gets soggy, and it will drip. So uh, just do like a real quick drip. Sound good? Practical stuff. And then go back to your seats, and then we'll just sing, and then we'll partake of the bread together. Does that sound good? God, thank you so much for grace. Thank you so much for you giving your life for us. And God, in response to you, we want to trust you. We want to have faith and confidence in you. God, we want to show forth that we love you, that we trust you by loving you and loving our neighbor. So God, as we partake of the bread, remind us of the fact that you've come into our lives, into our story, into our brokenness as a way of inviting us to enter into yours. So let's go ahead and come forth so we, some of you guys can start coming forward to one of the little stations.
want to read a passage. It's out of the book of Luke, chapter 22. I just want you to listen to it, and then we'll partake of communion together. It says, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his followers or disciples, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. So we see Jesus, he took the bread. Jesus gave thanks for the bread. Jesus broke the bread, and then Jesus gave the bread. That's why we wanted to carry on the symbolism of that giving and have it given to you as a way of reminding you of the fact that salvation is a gift from God. God gave you something, and you stretched out your hand, and you simply were a recipient of this great thing that gives life. Bread was sort of the default food that everybody ate. It was the main staple diet that everybody ate. And part of eating that bread was also a way of basically saying that we're part of this family now. So as we eat the bread, and as we remember the cup, what we're basically recognizing is that our lives belong to God. That God has invited us into his story, into his life, and our lives belong to him. And not only that, but we also have a neighborhood now. We're part of a neighborhood. We call the neighborhood the church. We call the neighborhood humanity. And it's a way for us to show love and kindness to those. So part of eating the bread and drinking the cup is a way of reminding ourselves and asking ourselves, do we recognize this, the fact that we've been brought into this family? Do we recognize the fact that there are neighbors for us to love and to serve and to make retribution for if we've stolen anything from them the way Zacchaeus did? People that maybe if we've offended, we ask for their forgiveness. People that maybe have offended us and have asked for us forgiveness, but we've refused to give them forgiveness. We've refused to offer forgiveness to them. This is the family that God invites us into. I'm going to pray. We'll partake of communion. And how about we'll all stand and we'll sing together and we'll close up. All right? So why don't we all stand right now? God, thank you for great grace, great love, life that has been put on display through Jesus ironically dying for us, rising and ascending into heaven. God, we have a king that has established a brand new order and has invited people to be in this new order, this new kingdom, this new life. God, we partake of the bread as a way of reminding ourselves that we refuse to eat the bread of this world. We refuse to look at the bread of this world and say, that's where we find life. Instead, God, we turn to the bread that you've given us and we say, this is where we find our life. This is where we find our future and our hope. Being your family, being neighbors to one another, loving you, loving one another. So God, in faith and confidence and trust and repentance, we partake of this bread together as one family.